on, come on, come on, come on. Welcome back to another edition of the No Further Comments podcast, a.k.a. the NFC. This is the Basketball Insider Edition. I'm your host, Alex Meacham. Now, let's go through a couple things first. want to start off with our social media handles. Let's start off with the NFC podcast social media. You can hit us up on IG or Twitter at NFC Podcast. We are also on Facebook, No Further Comments comments once again on IG and Twitter at NFC podcast on Facebook no further comments you can also reach out to me on social media I'm on IG and Twitter at Alex underscore Meacham M-E-A-C-H-A-M I'm also on Facebook Alex Meacham I'm also on Snapchat everyone's favorite Snapchat at Big Meach 41 and that's the number 41 all right our music just came in um, our intro music's always big daddy kane because i just feel it's important that our youth that our young people are up to speed on the great iconic hip-hop figures like big daddy kane so everyone that comes on our show i talk to them about the iconic the legendary the stylish the great lyricist Big Daddy Kane. All right, let's jump into it. We got a lot to cover today. We want to talk about the NCAA tournament, just a wacky, crazy tournament. I want to talk about high school basketball as well, the Kentucky high school basketball tournament, and also the Ohio high school basketball tournament. First, let's talk about the NCAA. I mean, everybody wants to get to this, and the, the Final Four is set right now, but how we got to the Final Four has been historic. There have been games that have been legendary thus far. Let's start off with the game that was probably the most historic thus far, and that's Virginia versus UMBC in round one in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, Virginia coming in as the strongest number one seed. Everyone's figuring they're gonna have a pretty good path to the Final Four, and you know they play great defense, they play great structured basketball, therefore, they should automatically be in the Final Four, but for the first time ever in the history of men's Division I tournament history, a number one seed lost to a number 16 seed in UMBC, the Golden Retrievers. I mean, what a great story. You know, this group comes in with really no NBA prospects on their roster and beats a number one of the number one seeds, not only did they beat them, they beat them by 20 points. Virginia, I believe, was picked to beat them by 20 points. So, so let's get our arms around this. So you've got a number one overall number one seed in Virginia. Comes in strong defensively, great coaching, and just all this stuff that is set for them to be in the Final Four versus a number 16 seed who really doesn't have any high-level NBA potential prospects. Now, I think it would be one thing if UMBC had a guy that was a legit NBA prospect. For, for example, uh, Georgia State comes into the tournament as a number 15 seed. Now, they have a legitimate potential NBA pro on their team. So if Georgia State was a 
number 16 C, let's say, I could see them knocking off or having the potential to knock off a number one C just because they have that one guy that's a difference maker. And UMBC didn't really have a guy you can look at and say, hey, he's going to take over this game. But it, it's just like anything in, in basketball. If you let a team get confidence early and get hot shooting the basketball, you will get beat. And that's been proven over and over. That's why you hear a lot of these coaches talking about, let's get off to a great start. So one of the, one of the great things about, I think, big events in today's uh, internet generation is Twitter. Twitter's so fun during big events, NCAA tournament, the Oscars, uh, the Super Bowl. I mean, I can go on and on with different events where it's almost it's mandatory that you go and see what people are tweeting about because there's so much creativity. There's so many people that are quick to make these memes. And I, I don't know who comes up with these memes and puts these things together as quick as they do. They must, there must be some dude in the basement generating this stuff. But UMBC's Twitter account was, <laughs> it was so on point during the NCAA tournament as UMBC um, was playing, knocks off Virginia. And, you know, they're going at everybody that basically went against them, against Virginia. That was pretty cool to see. That, that was fun to watch. So, so okay, that, that's the first piece. You've got UMBC, a 16 seed, knocking off Virginia. That's the first historical thing. That should have laid out basically for everyone how this tournament was going to go, meaning there's going to be a lot of history being made this tournament. And so far, there has been, and we're going to talk about some of those things. But I do want to talk about a local team uh, that played in the tournament and, in my opinion, had a very, very successful season. I know they wish they would have won their first-round game, and that's the team out of Dayton, Ohio, the Wright State Raiders. Uh, the Wright State Raiders were led by a local product, Moeller product, and Moeller obviously just won their Division I Ohio State Championship uh, this weekend. Um, and Grant Benzinger, who is... Uh, the MVP of Wright State's team, um, their best player, their most consistent player. He also went to Moeller. Uh, he had an outstanding uh, season. And here's the guy in Grant Benzinger who, um, out of college, goes to Wright State. And I, I've known Grant for a long time, and I know what a competitor he, competitor he is. And, you know, they're, they're just guys that come along. In, in sports or just life in general that you never want to root against. Like you just can't root against that guy because you know he's going to find a way to be successful. No matter what situation you put him in, he's going to thrive. And Grant Benzinger is that type of person. He's that type of kid, that type of player. And I knew when he you know, committed to Wright State, that he would be successful there. And this last year, this senior year that he's, that he's had, this ride that Wright State has had, um, a lot of that has had to do with the success of Grant Benzinger, the consistency of him and being a leader on that team. And I went to watch them earlier this year when they played NK, NKU, and Grant had, gosh, I forget, 31, 30-plus 30 points. I mean, he was, he was balling, um, had a great season. Another great story about Wright State, and they, they won their conference tournament and get a um, bid to the NCAA tournament. But another great story for Wright State is uh, Ryan Custer. Uh, for those who don't know, 
Ryan Custer um, played at Elder High School here in Cincinnati, was a, a good high school basketball player. And he's a kid that he kind of came along in the high school ranks a little later. He bloomed later. And even his senior year, he might have averaged around nine points. But he's a kid, you know, at six, six and a half, six, seven, however tall um, he is. You know, it, it was like this kid has a lot of potential. So um, Wright State and others recruited Ryan Custer based off of, I think, his potential. Rightfully so. Uh, so Ryan decides to commit to Wright State, um, goes in as a freshman at Wright State. And in a lot of cases in college basketball, if you look at it in the, the, the big scope of college basketball, freshmen usually don't play a lot at, at any level. And Ryan was able to go in his freshman year and, and become an integral part of Wright State's basketball team um, his freshman year. <coughs> so after his freshman year had finished up, um, unfortunately, he was involved in a freak accident um, at a party at Miami Oxford, at Miami uh, University. And um, Ryan has been paralyzed. And so after his freshman year of playing basketball in, in, a, in a bright future as a basketball player, his career was, was cut short uh, that day in Wright State at uh, Miami Oxford, excuse me. And, you know, a lot of people in the Cincinnati community rallied around Ryan. I've known Ryan for a long time. Um, I was one of a group of people that went to the hospital immediately uh, when the accident happened, rushed over there to, to see him. And um, it's sad to see, but Ryan's been able to keep a positive attitude and say, you know, this is now my life, I have to deal with it. And I have to be happy with who I am and inspire others. And I think he's done a great job of that. And he was able to basically say, okay, this college basketball season, I'm going to put my arms around Wright State basketball and you know, do my best to be a part of the basketball team and follow them, cheer them on. And he kind of became that inspirational piece during their conference tournament run, and also the NCAA. He became a, a darling. And I, and I believe if Wright State would have won their first round game and went on to the second round game, there would have been huge stories about Ryan Custer and the team uh, rallying around him. Just a, just a tremendous kid. And hats off to Wright State on their great season. Grant Benzinger on a great career. And um, next level, he should be a professional um, overseas. Uh, he, he has that type of game and also uh, Ryan Custer and just him inspiring so many people. So I, I want to get into another team in our area, uh, Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, a lot of people didn't think Ohio State was going to be very good this year. There were a lot of questions. Uh, they lost out, I believe, on a lot of recruits. Uh, Thad Mata uh, was not brought back or whatever their situation was with, with Thad. And, bringing a new coach and coach Holtman and he's done a great job of creating a culture there at Ohio State and uh, they they've gone on a tremendous run and really ended the season on such a high note and a high level and it got to the point where they're going into the NCAA tournament as a five seed but but more importantly they're going into the NCAA tournament as a team that's going to be a tough out 
You know, they're look, you know, South Dakota's their first South Dakota State, excuse me, is their first round game. A lot of people predicted them to win that, which they did 81-73, then going on to play Gonzaga, um, and they go down 90 to 84, but nothing to you know, nothing to hang their heads about. They had a great season, exceeded expectations. And probably more important for Buckeye Nation is it's set the set the stage for the years to come and what the potential is. Uh, for the Buckeyes, kind of getting back to Ohio State basketball and getting those great recruits um, in kind of that Midwest, Midwest area. And one of the great walk-ons from around the country, Joey Lane, uh, is part of the Ohio State basketball team. And, and, and Joey's a friend of the show. Joey's been on the No Further Comments podcast many a times. So we're going to get him back on the show. Um, he's created a nice little niche for himself within the walk-on world. He's got a uh, uh, hashtag called Tao Gang, and uh, Joey's just a very, very neat kid. Also comes from a great family, so um, I'm sure Ohio State's going to come back next year uh, with more recruits, great coaching. You got Joey Lane as a walk-on, so all the ingredients for Ohio State to to have a good run next year. Uh, a couple teams I want to I want to highlight um, as we talk about some of these first round, second round games. Radford. Not a lot of people know about Radford, and to be honest with you. I didn't know a lot about Radford. Um, I'd heard of them, but didn't know a lot about their basketball team this year. Um, they came in as a 16 seed in the tournament. But what I did know is their point guard, their point guard, excuse me, Carly Jones. Now, Carly Jones is from Cincinnati. Played high school basketball at Aiken High School here in Cincinnati. And Carly Jones was a very, in my opinion, a very under-recruited kid. When he played high school basketball here, I basically called him, at one point in his senior year, I called him the Chris Paul of Cincinnati. There were so many things that he did very well. Uh, I think the knock on him was his size. But I'm a firm believer that regardless of your size, if you can produce and you can do a lot of things well in you also have a, uh, a champion's mentality, and you win wherever you go. I think that says a lot. And I truly believe Carly Jones was under-recruited. And this is no offense to, to Radford, because obviously they had a very good season, make the tournament as a number 16 seed. Um, and unfortunately, they had to face a juggernaut in Villanova, number one seed, and they end up losing 87 to 61. But Carly Jones is one of the better point guards in America. And I'm talking about Division I basketball. And I believe Carleek broke the record for most freshman of the, uh, of the week honors in a conference. I think he won it close to eight or nine times. He was freshman of the week in the conference. I mean, he hit game winners. He set up his teammates for, for big shots to help win the game. Carleek is a winner. Um, now, I don't know Carleek's situation, um, if he plans to stay at Radford or if he's going to transfer out, because sometimes you see a kid go to a school like a Radford, have success for one or two years, and decide to transfer to a bigger school. I truly believe he has the ability to go on to another school, um, a major D1, and compete at that level and, and change the complexion of their team, because he really is a, a very good point guard. Uh, I want to talk about quickly uh, West Virginia, the Mountaineers, Coach Bob Huggins. And 
for those that don't know, I played uh, basketball for the Cincinnati Bearcats, and Coach Bob Huggins was, was my coach. And I still root to this day for any Bob Huggins basketball team. Um, and, and his West Virginia team really embodied Bob Huggins. They were a, a hard nose, pressing, tough defense, tough kids, high character kids. It's just a Bob Huggins type of basketball team. And they had a lot of success um, early on, middle of the season. Um, they started to go through a little bit of a tough patch towards the end of the season, which then led to them getting a number five seed. I think at it, 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 about the midpoint of the college basketball season, if you would ask someone where would West Virginia fall, I think most people would have told you they would have had a higher seed than a five seed. But just like any basketball team, I've talked about this before, you've got to look at a, a college basketball season as – many seasons within a season and you can't be great the entire year it's it's so tough to be great the entire year there have been teams don't get me wrong i believe uconn uh the kimball walker year they were great like all year that's one of the most incredible stories i think within college basketball that people don't really highlight enough kimball walker single-handedly led that team they go and win the big east they go in ncaa tournament they win the whole thing this is all behind Kimball Walker, and Kimball was an incredible, incredible college guard. And of course, he had pieces around him, but Kimball was the, the heartbeat of that basketball team. But it's tough to duplicate that. And uh, West Virginia, like many other teams in college basketball, go through their ups and downs through the many seasons within the season, and which led to their number five seed. Uh, now, they um, made it to the Elite Eight and eventually uh, lose to Villanova. Uh, they were, I believe West Virginia was up by like six points or so. I, I think that was the, the point total they were up by um, at some point in the second half, and, and Villanova got hot. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, if Villanova shoots the basketball very well, they win this championship, and I think they win it easily. I think they're that good. If they shoot the ball just average, um, anything could happen. But if they shoot the ball at the level that they're capable of and shoot just maybe a little bit better, I, I think it's hands down Villanova's tournament to, to lose at this point. Um, but moving along from, uh, from West Virginia, I want to talk about the Final Four and the Final Four teams and kind of the setup. And as we talk about historical moments within this 2018 tournament, UMBC, obviously, the number 16 seed knocking off number one seed Virginia is one of the big stories. But also, one of the biggest stories is Loyola, Chicago. I mean, who saw this coming? A number 11 seed making a run to the final four. Now, they're the, only the fourth 11 seed in NCAA tournament history to make it to the final four. You've got LSU, George Mason, and VCU as the other three 11 seeds that made it to the Final Four. And to my knowledge, an 11 seed has never won an NCAA tournament. I believe the highest seed that won was a number eight seed. I think that was Villanova. Um, I, I don't have the research on that, but I'm, I'm just kind of going off my, my memory. If, if Loyola can get past Michigan in the Final Four, 
and whoever they play next and, and shoot the ball well. Because uh, they're, 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 to me, a high-powered offensive team, very well coached. I tell you what, if I'm an AD, an athletic director out there, and I'm looking for a new coach, I'm looking at Loyola Chicago's coach, and I'm hiring him ASAP. Offer him whatever you can offer him and get this guy. He is a star in the coaching world. But it would be, it would be cool to see Loyola win the tournament. From this standpoint, I mean, history was set early. UMBC winning. And it's just like, you know what? Let's just make this a historical tournament. Let's, let, let's see the, wild, the wildest stuff happen. And Loyola is one of those teams where you never expected them to make it this far. And one person that's become a star on that team is someone that doesn't even shoot a jump shot, has never played defense, She's become the team spirit. And if you've watched any of the NCAA tournament, you've seen the stories, you've seen the videos. Sister Jean for Loyola, Loyola Chicago. And she wears this scarf um, that has the colors of the, of the team. And um, they, interview her, they interview her after every single game. Uh, she's the spirit, really, of their team. And it's been a really cool story. And one thing with NCAA tournament that's so cool is they always try to find the story within the story. So if you have a team, you know, like Loyola, of course, being an 11 seed going to the, the final four, that's a huge story. But the story within that is Sister Jean. And they do a great job of finding those and, and building those up. For example, um, Nevada, you know, if Nevada makes a run to the Final Four, you know, if, if they beat Loyola Chicago, I think they take the story within the story, and, and Nevada was a seven seed, which isn't a bad seed, but uh, the head coach, his daughter, wants to get into broadcasting, and she's a very pretty girl, and she's really young, and I think they run with that story, and they use how cute she is, and have her get and do a little broadcasting of the game, so they're really good with finding the story within the story, and Loyola Chicago has so many of those pieces with this basketball team. The other team that I just mentioned a second ago um, in the Final Four is Michigan. Wow, uh, what a run by uh, Michigan, uh, number three seed. And what's interesting about this team is usually a, a B-line coach team is very, they're very effective offensively. And I think today's game of basketball, you have to be able to score the ball. I think the days of being a superior defensive team and a very average offensive team do not get you to the Final Four anymore. I think those days are over, and moving forward, they're definitely going to be over. You are going to have to be a very good offensive team. Uh, Michigan now, Michigan historically, under B-line is usually very good offensively, but I think the unique thing about Michigan is they've been able to guard better than they have historically over the last couple years. I think this might be one of B-line's best defensive teams. Uh, and if you watched uh, their game, I believe it was against, uh, was against Houston, and Houston was up, and Michigan hits the game winner, uh, Poole, uh, their guard hits a hits a shot to win it, 
And what's so crazy about the shot that he hit to win it is when he shot it, with time running out, he spread his legs like the Jordan silhouette. And Michigan's a Jordan basketball team, so they've got the, the jump man on their jersey and on their shorts and on their feet. And he's like spreading his legs like Jordan as he shoots this shot. And he makes it. Michigan wins. But rewind, there's video footage of Poole in high school making the same exact shot for a game-winning bucket in the same, pretty much the same spot, spreading his legs like the Jordan silhouette. It's crazy. There was a video on Twitter of the two shots, high school and college, of him making it and making it the same way. It was really cool. And then the tie-in that they're a Jordan school and the Jordan silhouette I thought was a, a pretty cool story. I'm surprised that more people haven't run with that from a, from a marketing standpoint, especially brand Jordan. So throw that out there for brand Jordan. You can use that. Just uh, send me some J's and we're, we're good. Uh, the other two teams in the final four I want to talk about, we've got Kansas and Villanova. Now, Looking at the, 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 the two sides here, you've got Loyola versus Michigan, Kansas versus Villanova. You, you, you think Kansas versus Villanova is really the championship game. I mean, you look at it, and, and Kansas obviously has been very strong all year. They're a number one seed. Uh, Villanova, a number one seed, very strong. So you've got two number one seeds going against each other. Some people are saying that's the championship game. I say not so fast. Don't count out the other side of the bracket. This tournament's been so wacky, you just don't know. But I'll tell you what, that Kansas versus Villanova game is going to be a fun game to watch. I, th I think it's going to be a great game. And like I said before, if Villanova shoots the ball very well, they win that game, and they go on to win the NCAA tournament. Give them the championship hats. Give them the championship jerseys, done deal. So let's move along. I want to talk about, I want to build all this up to talk about two particular uh, teams that were in the NCAA tournament. One of which is my UC Bearcats, and the other is the Xavier Musketeers. Let's start with Xavier, though. Xavier coming into this tournament, you know, they end up getting a number one seat, and if you really look at it, you know, Xavier's basketball team this year, they, they've done very well all year. Uh, they had a, a, what I consider a two-headed monster with, um, with Blewett and Makura with JP. And offensively, those two guys were dynamite all year. And when those two guys play at a high level, it is so tough to guard Xavier. And I, and I think uh, Chris Mack, does a great job offensively finding shots when he has very good players to great players. He's very good at running sets and getting those type of player shots. And he, he, he's done that year in and year out, and especially this year he's done a great job. Um, now, now here's the thing about Xavier going into the tournament. Of course, they've had a great season, but they, they've just, there have been games where they've given up leads and they find a way to just they, they, they just sneak by with a victory. And at some point, that stuff catches up to you if you're not careful. 
think you have to sharpen some things up defensively. And the one thing I will say about Xavier, I don't feel like they sharpened up their defense enough going into the NCAA tournament. And I personally saw, hey, there's a chance that if they get in a situation and their defense isn't sharp, they're going to get chopped down. And that was the case against Florida State. And there have been many teams like this in the NCAA tournament. And trust me, my Bearcats were guilty of this as well. But Xavier was up big in the second half and blew a lead. And they lost to Florida State. And, and, and Florida State being a nine seed, Xavier being a one. Last year, Xavier beat uh, Florida State. And Florida State, I thought, last year, their, their uh, roster, Florida State's roster, was, was just full of, of more talented guys than Xavier. And Xavier just X and O'd them to, to death. But this year was different. I really thought Xavier was going to beat Florida State. Where I thought Xavier was going to struggle was going to be the next round if they played Gonzaga. I thought Gonzaga had the offensive power to give Xavier problems, especially if Xavier didn't clean up their defense. But, you know, Florida State down in the second half. I can't remember the exact. They might have been down, got 16 or 17, something like that. And they stormed back. And they win 75 to 70. And the interesting thing about this game is, you know, you expect your, your seniors, your best player, your leaders to step up in moments when things get a little tight, when you, when you lose a lead and you, can start, you start to see things slip away. You expect a guy like Blewett, who's been Xavier's best player all, all year, to step up. And he didn't. I don't think he played particularly well the entire game. And when it came to the end, Blewett had two crucial turnovers. And that led to Xavier losing. Now, I'm not saying it was Blewett's fault they lost, but you expect more from your best player, your senior leader. And I know Blewett probably feels very disappointed in himself that you know he, he let the team down in that particular moment but like I said that wasn't his fault and and it's so interesting when when you're a when you're a coach and you're up big in the second half or you know if it's high school and you're up big in the fourth quarter you, you go through this process in your mind of okay we're up big how do how do we continue to play this game do we push? Do we continue to attack? Do we try to run more stuff, more more offensive sets to run the clock down? Be a little more conservative with what we're doing. So it's it's one of those balancing acts. And you and you is is it good to have a happy diet of the two? And each coach is different. Uh, and, and these two cases that we'll talk about with Xavier and UC, both teams blowing big leads. I think you have to attack. You get up that much, you need to put your, your, your foot on their neck. And you need to be up by 30. Not be content with being up, you know, 15 and saying, okay, as long as we keep this 15-point lead throughout, we're fine. I, I'm a firm believer in keep pushing, keep attacking. Now, on the flip side, you have folks that say, hey, if you keep pushing, you attack. You might cause turnovers. 
which lead to higher possession games. That gives the other uh, team opportunities to come back. I get that. But you got to think, what got you there? What got you there was pushing the basketball, being aggressive. And when you do those things to be successful, you need to, I think, continue to do those games. Now, I do think there's a point you get to in the game where you go, okay, we have the lead. Now it's time to run the clock. Now it's time to be strategic with this. And I think both UC and Xavier ran into those issues. Um, and also, too, when you're coaching, you, you start to lose a lead. It's sometimes it's tough to, to, to weather that storm. I mean, it's tough to stop that. The other team has confidence as your guys start to lose confidence. How do you get your guys' confidence back up? Do you call a timeout in certain situations? Do you get different guys in? Do you run certain sets? There are a lot of things that, uh, that go through your mind as a coach, and you have to, at that time, think what's the best thing to do right now in this situation for this ball club. Um, but unfortunately for Xavier, um, you know, they lose 75-70, uh, and Florida State goes on to play Gonzaga and, and beat Gonzaga and then uh, lose to, to Michigan. They, they had a great, Florida State had a great, great tournament. Now on to my Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, had to take a sip of water for this one because I have some serious thoughts um, in regards to my Bearcats. Now listen, I think of all the years, <clears throat> this year was set up perfectly for my Bearcats to make a run. Let's, let's go through this. I talked earlier about <clears throat> many seasons within a season. I think you see through their different mini seasons, found success in each one. Now, they didn't find ultimate success in each one. I think losing to Xavier in the Crosstown shootout, losing to Florida in a game that I thought they could have, could have won, uh, th th those were situations where they could have done a little bit better, um, you know, but, but they bounce back and, and, and go to UCLA and they beat UCLA at UCLA. It was a very good victory for, for that time. So that within that mini season, that UCLA win was a, a, a boost. It was a boost from losing uh, the prior two games. Um, but I, I think towards the end of the season, uh, the Bearcats began, began to catch their stride, lost, lost a tough one at home versus Wichita State bounced back to beat Wichita State at their place, which I think was one of the best victories um, of the year. That was an exciting game to watch. Then they go into the conference tournament, and they win it. So let, let, let's lay this all out. You've got a Bearcat team who, who's recorded one of the best seasons record-wise. Okay, you got that. You have Gary Clark, arguably you know, one of the great, greatest players during Mick Cronin's era to put on a Bearcat jersey. And Gary Clark have a great season, player of the year, defensive player of the year. I mean, just great community guy, um, high character guy. Um, Mick getting the sporting news, coach of the year. They won the regular season championship. They win the conference championship. 
there's a lot of momentum going into the NCAA tournament. So now let's take the NCAA tournament. We've got a two seed, which I think is very good for us. And on top of having a two seed, we're finally in a location that's not in who knows where Idaho or blah, 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 Montana. No offense to those areas out west. But our fan base is, is in the Midwest. And to play in Nashville, which is Nashville as I hear. I've never been there, but I hear it's a great town, great party area. It's an easy drive, maybe four, four and a half from Cincinnati. It's great for our fan base. Our fan base was so excited when we got a number two seed. When they hear it's in Nashville, we play Georgia State first game and then a potential matchup with Nevada or Texas. And Nevada and Texas are teams that I think matchup-wise most Bearcat fans looked at are beatable teams for the Bearcats just because of their style of play and our style of play. So I'm laying all this stuff up for you. Like, think about all the things that are in place for, the, for this Bearcat team to make a great run. Now to add more to it, let's look at the, at the, uh, the bracket above. You get Virginia knocked off. You get Arizona knocked off. So it's starting to lay out that above us, if we take care of business, potentially getting to the Final Four looks as good as it's been in a long time. Everything was there. But then one of, in my lifetime, probably the worst loss in UC basketball history. UC up 22 in the second half. Let me repeat that. UC up 22 points in the second half. So let's put all this back together. Regular season champs, conference champs, player of the year, coach of the year of the sporting news, number two seed, Nashville, up 22 in the second half against Nevada for a chance to go on and compete in the Elite Eight. Everything was there. And then one thing happened that I think really affected this game. Jaron Cumberland gets his fifth and final foul. Now I believe this really changed the complexion of the game. Now prior to that, Cumberland received his fourth foul. Most coaches would go, okay, score and time, Cumberland with four, one of our most important offensive players, I'm taking him out of the game, right? Most coaches would have done that. Now, in this situation, Coach Cronin looks at Cumberland after his fourth foul, and Cumberland goes, don't take me out. I won't get another foul. So Coach Cronin trusts Cumberland in this situation. Now, a lot of people think Cumberland should have come out. Mick should have said, you know what, I appreciate that. I, I know you want to be in there, but we need you down this last stretch. Mick wanted to go with his gut feeling, and that was to leave Cumberland in. Well, unfortunately, Cumberland gets his fifth foul. And when he goes out, it really changed the complexion 
of our offense. And here's the deal with, with Nevada. Let me, let me explain to you how they play. Nevada was a different matchup for the Bearcats than maybe, you know, a, uh, let's take a Texas um, or, shoot, Miami, Florida. And here's why. Nevada is a high-possession basketball team, very similar to a pro-style team. You ever watch an NBA game and the Cavaliers are down by 25 to the Milwaukee Bucks in the third quarter? You go, okay, uh, Cavs are down 25, they'll come back. And sure enough, you turn the game on in the fourth quarter, maybe four or five minutes to go, and the Cavs have come back. Well, there's a reason why. It's because the way the professional game is, there's a lot of high possessions. And Nevada plays that way. So being down 22 for Nevada is not really being down 22. To them, it might be a 12-point game. Um, they push the pace, and they want to shoot early and often. And they've got one kid who... And so one of the twins, they have a, a twin uh, Martin brothers who are very good. And they get hot and they get going and, and guys start getting their confidence. This was a type of game that suited Nevada to come back. Now, what happened is, Jaron Cumberland goes out. It changes how you, how you play offensively. So if I'm Mick Cronin and we're up 22, start to lose the lead, Cumberland fouls out. I'm thinking we've got to get the ball to Gary Clark. Throw the ball to Gary Clark. Throw the ball to Gary Clark. But what was happening was because Cumberland goes out, Cumberland is one of your better three-point shooters, one of your outside offensive threats, and he's not there. Well, Nevada's doubling down on Gary Clark off of other guys because Cumberland's not in. So, you know, they'll double off of Justin Jennifer or Kane Brune, who's in at the time. And they're doubling off these guys, daring them to shoot. And on top of that, the guy on the perimeter who should be throwing the post pass to Gary Clark can't get that pass there because they're doubling down. And the shot clock starts to go down, and it's seven seconds left, and then UC's going one-on-one. -on -one. And what I thought Jacob Evans was successful in early in the game, getting the ball to the bucket, he was settling more on shots. And that's what Nevada wanted. They wanted the Bearcats to settle on perimeter jump shots. And, you know, and Cumberland's one of the most aggressive guys on the Bearcats team. I mean, he's going to the basket. He doesn't care. He's going to the basket. And when he goes out, you, you, you take away a little bit of that aggressiveness that the Bearcats have. And if anybody should step up and take that lead, it's, it's Jacob Evans from a standpoint of attacking and being aggressive and also getting the ball to Gary Clark, letting him operate and get into the free throw line. But they couldn't get the ball to Gary Clark, uh, we weren't being aggressive enough, settling on outside shots, not getting to the free throw line. You, you, you mix all that in a pot, stir it up, and we've lost a lead. And then you, what happens is if you start to lose a lead and you're up 22, players get nervous. 
our players started to get nervous. Jacob Evans had a very bad turnover. Kane Broom is very, uh, you know, he's getting very nervous with the basketball and he's struggling with his ball handling and just, it was just one of those things you just can't stop, you know. Um, I'm not sure, I believe, I want to say we had a couple timeouts maybe, maybe two. I could be wrong, but maybe two timeouts. Um, there, there could have been spots in which Mick called a timeout to kind of weather um, some of that. Um, but that's a coach's feel. You know, I, I don't want to criticize Mick in that particular situation because, you know, you got to pick and choose and feel out where you call a timeout. Uh, for example, uh, when Duke played um, last night versus Kansas, Coach K decided not to call a timeout when the game was tied and time running down. He let Grayson Allen go and let him, instead of calling a timeout, getting a set together to get a score and potentially win the game, he let him play on because he felt that prior to that, they had success doing that. And that's a coach's feel. You know, you have to, you have to kind of feel it. And if it doesn't work, you're going to get blasted. But, you know, that's why you get paid millions of dollars to, to be the coach. So back to what I said to start this segment, and that is this is a historic NCAA tournament. And my Bearcats were on the wrong side of history. First team in NCAA history to blow a 22-point lead in the second half. Biggest lead ever blown. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, that was a disappointing loss uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, probably for most Bearcat fans, I think, you know, you look at guys like Gary Clark, Kyle Washington, it's just a great season those guys had, especially Gary Clark specifically. I think we hoped more for this Bearcat basketball team. And, um, you know, that's very disappointing. So what happens next for the Bearcats? Um, and, and, and I'm going to say something here. I think, and I love that the Bearcats play very strong defense. Look, I come from the Bob Huggins era. Uh, my high school coaches, very strong defensively. I come from a defensive mentality. Defense wins championships. But we're in a, in, a, in a day and age in which times have changed. I think it's great we play very high-level defense. But I think it's time that we play high-level offense. If we want to make a Final Four run, we've got to be better offensively. Now, what's the answer? How do the Bearcats become better offensively? Well, I think that comes down to a couple things. I think Mick has to evaluate who he has coming back next year on his team and who he needs to recruit. He has to look and say, okay, I need a shooter in this position. I need, you know, maybe he needs a, a taller shooter. So, and, and, and let me explain that. So he has a shooter right now um, in Moore who, who came in um, Trevor Moore came in as one of the more highly touted shooters. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well this year, but he's not a tall guy. Sometimes you might need a guy with, with more size on the perimeter to shoot the ball. You know, uh, Blewett of Xavier, J.P. McCure of Xavier, um, they have better size. So maybe you go and find, I'm not saying it's easy to go find a Blewett, but I think it's easier to find 
um, shooters out there than it is athletic guys because everyone's fighting for the athletic guys. I think you can find a taller, longer shooter and, and develop that player. Um, that's, that's one thing I think the Bearcats uh, desperately need to, to look at. Um, and, and, and Mick has to decide from there what are the pieces that are going to fit his system to become better offensively. And I guarantee you Mick is looking at this. I mean, Mick's no dummy. He's going to say, we need to score better. How do we improve that? They probably have to look at retooling their offense and, and, and how they play offensively. I think that's another piece to it. But once again, that's why they get paid the big bucks to figure that out. So uh, just to end this segment, this NCAA segment I have here, I'm going to go ahead and say Villanova's going to win. I think they, they win the championship. Um, I just like the makeup of the team, where they're playing right now, the confidence they're playing with. I think would be, the cool story would be Loyola Chicago. So I'm, I'm either way. Now, it's been tough for me to watch Loyola Chicago win because I feel like my Bearcats should be there. So that, that Loyola-Kansas State game was tough for me to watch because I'm like, oh, God, my Bearcats should be playing in this game. So anyway, I think I'm going to root for them. Um, to, to, to make history, to, to kind of keep the thing going from the first day when UMBC beat Virginia. So that's the breakdown of the NCAA tournament. And uh, I want to I dive into some, some high school basketball talk. And, and one thing that, that really bothers me is I think the tri-state area here with Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio do not get enough credit for the great basketball that comes out of this area. In Ohio, a lot of people talk about football. And listen, I get it. We have great football teams in Ohio, great coaches in Ohio for football. A lot of these players that play football in Ohio go on to play in the, in the uh, NFL. They play professionally. I get all that. However, some of the best basketball in the country is here with these three states, Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. And I wish, I, I really do wish we could highlight the great basketball more. And, and listen, our, our society now is more focused in on the individual than the team. Um, for example, if, if let's say in Cincinnati we have a kid that's, you know, of the, let's say, O.J. Mayo caliber type of player or you know, when LeBron was in, was in Akron, all eyes are on that particular kid, and they highlight that kid. Now, let's just say O.J. Mayo plays on a team that goes 9-16 and 16 in a season. I think people like to focus in on him, regardless of their record, more than a team that may go undefeated and win a state championship who's a great team and not have a guy of the caliber over an O.J. Mayo. It's just a function of where we are today. It is what it is. But... From coaching and in a team standpoint, I, I can speak specifically for Ohio that some of the best teams and coaches are here in the state of Ohio. Um, Northern Kentucky, trust me, is not um, behind Ohio in any of that. Um, some great teams. And I do want to start off with the Kentucky tournament. I want to give a huge shout out to Covcath, the Colonels out of Northern Kentucky. And for those that are out of state, or in another part of uh, 
the country that are listening to this podcast. And we have people in Jersey, um, California, and Florida that listen to the podcast. So shout out to all those people. Northern Kentucky is a stone's throw from downtown Cincinnati. You know, pretty much the river, <coughs> excuse me, separates us. A bridge separates us. And there's some, there's some very good basketball in Northern Kentucky. Now, Northern Kentucky's smaller than Cincinnati. So there aren't as many teams in Northern Kentucky. But um, Covcath has proven in recent years to be that year-in and year-out powerhouse in the state of Kentucky. And in some ways, they're as good um, as any team in the state of Ohio as well. Um, they, they've played to that level. And shout out Covcath for winning the 2018 Kentucky State Tournament. They beat Scott County 73-55. to 55. I mean, they, they handled Scott County. Uh, the three-headed monster at, at Covcath, uh, at point guard you have Aiden Rusatz, um, who's going to uh, Christian Brothers. Uh, you have C.J. Frederick. Um, on the wing, he's kind of their, their shooter. He's going to Iowa. And you've got uh, Big Jake Walters, son of former NFL pro uh, for the Bengals, Joe Walters. And Jake Walters is going to Xavier. So you've got a three-headed monster of, of kids that are all going to play at the next level. But really the star of the NC, or I'm sorry, the star of the high school tournament in Kentucky was C.J. Frederick. I mean, he was putting up some high-level numbers. And if you look at, at, at uh, Covcast's last three games in the tournament, he performed very well. I think I believe twice he had 32 points and had 22 points in one game. I have to go back and look at the stats, but I'm pretty sure that's what he had. He really stepped up and played at a high level. And Aiden Rusatz, is, uh, he's the heartbeat of that Covcast team. He, he keeps them together. He pushes the pace. He makes sure that guys catch the ball in the right, posi in the right position. And I'm, I'm going to tell you what, that right there in, in basketball, I don't care if it's high school or college, if you've got a good guard that's a setup guard. Now, now Aiden Rusatz can score the basketball, but his ability to set up others is what makes him so valuable and what makes Covcath tough to beat. Aiden can penetrate to the middle, suck in the defense, pitch it out to CJ. And if CJ catches it in certain positions, he's going to score a lot. Um, you know, getting the ball to, to Jake Walters and, and post feeds, entry passes, Aiden's very, very good at those things. And not only, and, and, and for those out there that are, that are basketball minds, you know this, but when you're throwing a post pass and you're, you're, you're throwing an entry pass to that post guy, as the person throwing the pass, you can't stand after you make that pass. If you just stand there, the person guarding you can float down and they can double down on the person that's received the pass because you're not moving. You basically become just a stationary person. Now, if you throw that pass, you need to relocate. And Aiden's very good at that. Pass, relocate. Now you force this defender to make a decision. They follow you. If they double down, you better hope that post guy can kick it back out. And if he kick it, kicks it back out, Aiden's wide open and he can knock down that shot. 
That's what made them tough to guard as well. Aiden's ability to throw it, relocate, make that defender make a decision. And as an offensive player, one of your jobs is to always make the defense shift. That's why you always hear about college coaches or high school coaches emphasizing moving the ball from one side of the court to the other. And when you do that, that, that forces the defense to shift. And when the defense has to shift, you usually have a breakdown defensively. So if I'm a defensive coach, I'm trying to prevent the offensive team from moving the ball from one side of the court to the other because I know we might have a defensive breakdown. And on the flip side, offensively, I'm trying to move that basketball wing to wing, wing top wing. And when you do that and you have other movement after the pass, I'd say 90% of the time you're going to have at the high school level, 90% of the time you're going to have a breakdown defensively. And I'm saying all that to say this, Covcath was very good at that. Hence, 73 to 55, their win against Scott County to bring home the state championship. So good for Covcath, uh, which then leads me to talk about the Ohio State Tournament at the Division I level. I'm going to talk about the Moeller Crusaders. Now, I had a, I had a chance to, to follow uh, Moeller pretty closely this year. Um, and, and listen, Moeller year in and year out has very good players. Their rosters are always, um, always some of the best rosters, not only in the greater Cincinnati area, the, the southwest Ohio, but in the state of Ohio. But I want to say this team this year was a team that had certain pieces that really took this team to another level. And, and maybe those pieces weren't the flashy pieces that you normally would see in the past. So I'm going to break that down for you. So Moeller wins the Ohio Division I State Championship, 83-65, to 65, and very similar to Covcath. Um, they, they pretty handily win the state championship. But their roster, so, so to what I was talking about earlier with their roster, um, the, the, the player with the most potential is a kid named Jackson Hayes who's going to Texas next year. Now, here's an interesting story. And, and, and Jackson Hayes is a perfect example of this generation in that a lot of coaches look at potential. So last year, now Jackson Hayes is a senior this year. Last year as a junior, he barely played. He barely scored in double figures. And I, I gosh, I, I believe he might have played, I don't know how many minutes in the state game last year, but, but not a lot. Had a great summer in AAU. Comes back as one of the... Um, one of the players in not only not only the Cincinnati area but also in the state that people were really looking out for like his stock rose to a high level to the point where UK Texas all these schools were after Jackson Hayes I mean you gotta he's 610 he's probably gonna be seven feet tall can block shots with ease he dunks with ease the potentials there if you look at this kid Jackson Hayes and go okay he goes to college 
you've got four years with this guy, he's going to be really good. He's going to be a pro potential type of guy. You've got to take a chance on a kid like that. Now, so to what I'm getting at, Jackson Hayes this year for this Moeller team um, did a lot of things. He, he, um, he protected the basket, blocked shots. Um, they could lob the ball up and he would just catch it and dunk it. And, and a lot of times when you're playing good teams and you're making a run, sometimes a monster dunk crushes that other team's spirit. And a lot of times they, the, Moeller, Moeller would do that. They would lob the ball to Jackson and he would just have a monster dunk on a big run that would just defeat the other team. So Jackson Hayes is the kid that has the most potential. And then you've got Jeremiah Davenport, who I think is the most improved player in our area. I mean, the kid was a good player last year, but here's a great example of a kid that plays hard. You always hear about coaches saying, if you play hard, good things happen. For Jeremiah Davenport, he plays so hard, this year great things happened. He was the best player on Moeller's basketball team. From the start of the season to the end of the season, he was the best player. Now, Jackson Hayes got all the hype. He's got the most potential. But Jeremiah Davenport was the best player, game in and game out. Kid improved so much. But this goes to show you, and I tell young people this, if you just play hard, you can make mistakes, but if you play hard, good things will eventually happen. And that's what happened for Jeremiah, and he's going to Wright State. And I'll tell you what, he's going to have a tremendous career at Wright State. They've, they've got one hell of a player. Now on to a couple players that I want to use as the example I was laying up before I kind of talked about Moeller winning and that is Carlos Garcia and Isaiah Sleepy Payton are two, two you know, Sleepy's the point guard and, and Carlos is another guard, although he's a, he's a stronger guard. They did so many things that helped take this team to the next level. And this is what I was talking about, guys on the roster who might not be as flashy as maybe some kids in the past or have all the big-time D1 scholarships, but they fit a role that was so important. As I said before, Jackson Hayes has the most potential. Jeremiah Davenport, he was the best player. Carlos Garcia, he was the most important player for Moeller this year. He consistently did the right things on the court. When I say did the right things, he took the charge, dove on the floor for the loose ball, had the big steal. He always did those things that you need to get you over the hump. Sleepy Payton, the point guard. I'm going to say something about Sleepy. When sometimes people watch him, they go, oh, man, he's not into the game. But he just has a pace that he plays with and he forces who's ever guarding him to play at his pace. You can't speed Sleepy up. And he does have a real crafty change of gear. So as he's playing, you know, kind of methodical, he's kind of lulling you to sleep, boom, he goes right by you. I will say one thing about Sleepy, he was consistent all year and also he wasn't selfish. He wasn't worried about Jeremiah being the best player. Um, Jackson having the most potential, Carlos being the most important. Sleepy came in and did his job for the betterment of the team. 
knowing that if I do my job, I do it well, we're going to be cutting down the nets. And you put all that in a pot, like I like to say, you put all that in a pot and stir it up, you have your Division I state champions, Moeller. Now, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to get into this right now. I'm going to save this for the next podcast. Uh, Deer Park also won a uh, state championship, and we'll probably dive into that a little bit more uh, next Basketball Insider podcast. And what I'd like to do next podcast is I think I'm going to try to get one player from um, each team that won a state championship, uh, one from Cuffcath, one from Moeller, and one from Deer Park, have them come in studio and we talk to them and just talk about the ride and, and, and the ups and downs of the season. And I, th I, think, um, I think I know the right kids to, to bring in to, to, to talk about this and have this discussion. Now, here's the other thing I want to segue into, which is going to lead to our next Basketball Insider podcast. And high school basketball season is over. The next thing we are getting ready for is the spring and summer AAU basketball season. I'm going to dedicate an entire podcast to AAU basketball. I might have to bring in a couple people. I'm going to have a couple people call in as well during this podcast to discuss AU basketball. Because AU basketball a lot of times gets a bad rep. And there are great things going on in AU basketball. And there's also things that aren't great about AU basketball. And you could say the same for high school. No different. So I like to lay out those things so people can digest them and form their own opinion instead of, I think a lot of times everyone wants to use AAU as the, sta the scapegoat for what's wrong with youth basketball. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that is wrong. I don't think AAU is to blame for what people consider issues with youth basketball. I think there are a lot of things which I do want to discuss. I think there are things at the high school level that have to improve. I think there are things at the college level that have to improve, that affect youth basketball. I mean, think about all that's going on with this alleged money and cheating going on with NCAA, tournament, um, NCAA investigations, the FBI. That stuff has trickled down to the high school level, to the youth. And pe people want to put AU in the middle of that. Well, I'm here to tell you, high school's in the middle of that as well. And there are other things that are in the middle of that. So AAU's become the, they, they become the blame for a lot of these things. And I, I want to lay some things out so people can make their own judgment. Because, like I said before, there have been many people that come out of AAU basketball that have gone, gone on to do great things. And there are a lot of success stories. But you don't always hear those. You hear about the O.J. Mayos and, and other stories that, um, that are bad. I mean, that, no other way to say it. They're, they're bad stories. They're, they're bad people involved. Um, but that, that obviously is the headline story. The, the feel-good story isn't always, you know, the headline story, unfortunately. But I'm going to bring some of those positive, good stories to the forefront so we can have some, some balanced reporting. Well, man, I think we covered a lot here. I'm, uh, I'm going to end this podcast here. Um, 
when I come back, probably do another podcast here in about a week, week and a half. I'm going to go over uh, the Final Four championship game, see if my predictions were right, uh, get some of these um, state champions, some kids from each uh, state championship team in studio to talk a little bit about their journey, which I think uh, there's always good stories. Whenever you hear about a team winning a championship, you always think everything was great, like, like the journey was, was great. That's not always true. You go through your ups and downs. I'm sure, let's say Loyola wins the uh, national championship. Looking at their record, I'm sure they didn't have everything go smoothly. They had their ups and downs. There were doubts on you know, whether they'd you know, do well at the end of the year, do well in their conference. So to hear their journey, I think, is going to be very important. And then all this is going to set up for the podcast after that, which is going to lead to uh, AAU basketball and the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly with that. So I want to thank everybody for listening to another edition of the No Further Comments podcast, the Basketball Insider edition. I'm your host, Alex Meacham. If you want to reach out to us on social media, it's at NFC Podcast on IG and Twitter. No further comments on Facebook. If you want to reach out to me on social media, it's at Alex underscore Meacham, M-E-A-C-H-A-M, on IG and Twitter. On Facebook, I'm just Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, it's Big Meach 41, the number 41. And as always, as we leave out, Big Daddy Kane, of course, is going to take. Man, how cool would it be to get Big Daddy Kane on the Basketball Insider podcast? Man, I, I try to tag him in some of our social media posts, and he's yet to respond. At some point, he's going to have to go, all right, why does this goofy dude keep tagging me in these basketball podcasts? When I finally get to I'm going to find a way to get to Big Daddy Kane. I'm going to get him on this show. Now, he's originally from Brooklyn. I know a couple people in Brooklyn. So I'm going to holler at my folks in Brooklyn, the BK, shout out BK, shout out Marcy Projects. I'm going to, I don't know Jay-Z, but I'm going to get, I wonder if Big Daddy Kane played basketball. If he did, I bet he was a baller. We're going to find that out. And one day, you mark my word, we'll have Big Daddy Kane on the show. So I want to thank everybody for listening to another edition of the No Further Comments podcast, the Basketball Insider edition.